Is this a dagger which I see before me? The handle toward my hand. Come, let me clutch thee. I have thee not, and yet I see thee still. Art thou not, fatal vision, sensible to feeling as to sight? Or art thou but a dagger of the mind, a false creation proceeding from the heat-oppressed brain? I see thee yet, in form as palpable as this which now I draw. Thou marshalest me the way that I was going, and such an instrument I was to use. Mine eyes are made the fools of the other senses, or else worth all the rest. I see thee still, and on thy blade and dungeon gouts of blood, which was not so before. There's no such thing. It is the bloody business which informs thus to mine eyes. Now o'er the one half-world nature seems dead, and wicked dreams abuse the curtain sleep. Witchcraft celebrates pale Hecate's offerings, and withered murder, alarmed by his sentinel, the wolf whose howls his watch, thus with his stealthy pace, with Tarkin's ravishing strides towards his design, moves like a ghost. Thou sure and firm-set earth, hear not my steps, which way they walk, for fear Thy very stones prayed of my whereabout, and take the present horror from the time which now suits with it. Whiles I threat, he lives. Words to the heat of deeds to cold breath gives. I go, and it is done. The bell invites me. Hear it not, Duncan, for it is Nell that summons thee to heaven. Or to hell. The theater, the theater. Sing out, Louis. Theater, theater. To be or not to be. Theater, theater. Okay, I got a follow yeah. up from last week. Okay. okay, are we all wearing underwear? No. <laughs> I am. I not. am today, but that's all. <laughs> well, you we clearly see. have a shirt on. This is an undershirt and boxers. Uh, that's there we go. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, if it's but also just you could have you could have played yes and with me and just said yeah, Bailey, and then the the audience never would have known. Okay. I don't audio like format. Lying. It's fair. I don't it's like lying. I don't li- I don't We're like recording late enough that I'm just in my pajamas already. So right. I'm yeah. Not wearing any undergarments. Y'all, we're doing another late night record this week. And if you thought our energy was weird last week, <laughs> wait till this week because Scott had a long day at work. He had a lot going on today and worked till late, right? Which is why we're recording late. That's mm-hmm. why we're recording late. CJ got up early and has had a long ass day of shit. She's had to do for other people. Yeah. And Bailey is in second day of Tech Week. Tech Week! Now, as exciting as that is, every because it is exciting to be back in a Tech Week. It's oh, exciting yeah. to be back in the theater. Oh, yeah. I'm obsessed with it. But, you know, we're there till midnight every night. It's a lot. I'm not there right now, obviously. I've come here to do this podcast. Thanks. But I, I think there's something that i i want to bring up here which is that a lot of people call tech week hell week 
Yeah. That's something like like any theater person would have heard at some point in their career. Like, sure. oh, Hell Week's coming. Sure. I want to fight that. I want us to get rid of that. I want us to stop calling it Hell, hell Week. I think that that creates the negative energy that makes it Hell Week. I when you start going, oh, tech. 100% oh, with you. I'm 100% with you, Bales. Yeah. Well, I and I would agree. I would agree with that too. Tech week to me as an actor is always when you really get to know your cast and all the great inside jokes are made up. But I've never called tech week, hell week. We called it 10 out of 12s in school, but hell week to me was always the first week going back into sports. Hell week was when you did a bunch of like conditioning and training and two days for volleyball or cheerleading or, you know, whatever sport you were getting ready for at the beginning of the year. That's what we called hell week. I guess we did call it that when I was in high school football. We did call it. Hell yeah, this week. is but high I, school. I haven't played. I have forgotten that. I have put that away deep in a pocket <laughs> that I will never open again. But I will say, no, that's true. I haven't thought of it like that. But I, especially in college, but. Actually, actually, I've heard it a lot in L.A. regional theater where people are just like, all right, hell week. And you're just like, no, please don't call it that. And even when I've directed things and people have brought that term into the room, I've been like, nope, we're scrapping that right now. Yeah. It's not hell week. Like you said, Siege, this is the week that we bond. This is the week where the show actually comes together. Hell yeah. And it's long hours, but like most of the time you're not doing anything. <laughs> yeah, I always bring a good book to read. It's a lot of work. Put in the back of my pants. I also yeah. found that I've also found that the term hell week or hell weekend, like I remember in college we you know, we had two ten out of twelves. That was you know that it's also really disrespectful to your designers and your engineers and your stagehands and your technicians who are now for the first time being brought into the fold. And so when they're being brought into that, 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 uh, uh, you know, it's yeah. like, uh, hell week, I don't like it. Yeah. It's like, I'll it creates a negative energy around the space. Yeah. All right, Bales, yeah. let's, let's start a new thing. Let's make it a thing. Yeah. Let's yeah. make it delete thing. it. Tech week is tech week. You call it that because that's when the tech gets inserted. We can maybe we'll come up come up call with like it a magic happier... week. That's oh yeah, the magic and I'm always like, come. let's potluck it. I'm gonna bring a box of coffee. Yeah, What's bring, everyone you, else gonna bring? Everybody for snacks? bring your snacks and like a you then... spread, some donuts, some fresh fruit. Vandalprob. Vandalprob. <laughs> Sitzproben. Sitzproben is one of my favorite days. Whenever you do a musical, it's the best because it's that first day where you get up and you sing and you hear the band for the first time. Ah. You're like, oh, I feel so supported and oh, it's so hot. It's I a lot of fun. I want to kiss yeah. a sits probe. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I was trying to come up with a good segue, but I don't think I'm going to come up with one because That's my brain perfect. is, once again, complete moosh. Oh, Chigley. Uh, Chigley, yeah. <laughs> Chigley Puffinstoof. Call me Chigley. I <laughs> Sometimes for fun, I change my name on the Zoom that we're Love on. It. And today it's Chigley Puffinstoof. Uh, it's keeping things fresh. It is, but you know, Scott did insult Chigley by saying it. it felt like a forced name. <laughs> I did, yeah. No. Uh, I mean, what are you talking about? There's nothing forced about Puffinstoof. Puffinstoof. That's <laughs> that's forced. Please. I believe that the original Austrian accent would would pronounce it Puffinstoof. Puffinstoof. <laughs> okay. Uh, Great segue. Welcome. <laughs> silly, silly. Chiggly Chiggly. Welcome to Theater Theater, the theater podcast for theater nerds, 
made by three theater makers from the L.A. theater scene. I'm Jay Bailey Bertram. I'm C.J. Merriman. And I'm Scott Leggett. And I am Chigley <laughs> Puffinstoof. Hi, Chigley. That's his voice? Okay. Hi, Chigley. That's his voice. It's a little silly. Um, and you know, welcome back to part two of Titus Padronicus, the... Uh, works of Shakespeare, uh, most specifically his tragedies, and we're covering three of his works. Last week we covered Titus Andronicus and a little bit of Romeo and Juliet, the greatest love, love, the greatest love story ever told. <laughs> we're all doing great. We're all doing great. We're doing great. <laughs> we're doing great. And uh, we're going to finish that up today, and then we're going to move on to Scott's pick, which was Mackers. Mackers. I'm not going to say the name. Scottish, Scottish play. play. That's what it yeah. Is. Yeah. Uh, the Patrick Stewart play. So, <laughs> I, <laughs> um, the Michael Fassbender play. Uh, okay. So, do we want to get back into R&J? Yeah. Why don't we? Yeah. Let's do Can it. Can I ask a question? Please. First? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, okay. Before I, before I ask the question, cause it's a little personal, but I want to like sort of set <laughs> this up. Um, do you agree that our modern sort of ideal of love, or at least like the emotional state of being in love, is almost completely based and stemmed in this play? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I know what I, you're saying. I, I certainly think on a pop culture kind of level that you're you're probably not too far off. The idea, first of all, of love at first sight love pretty right. instantaneously and pretty quickly i think is <laughs> that sense of love has been romanticized you know i think that everybody dreams about that that they would see somebody and fall in love across a uh, you know a masquerade party and that that would be it and that it would lead to um you know Im immediate um emotional depths between two people yeah i think it's interesting i don't disagree i i actually have a hot take on this um okay. and i can't remember who i was having this conversation with it happened a couple years ago but um we were talking about the whole idea of like you know juliet and romeo are teenagers and it's kind of this we were discussing like is it real love um and it's kind of if you think of it it's kind of like really overwrought love like being so madly in love with each other at first sight and you love each other so much that you're going to forsake your families and then if you can't be with one another you're going to kill yourselves in the end and i thinking about it and reading it through this time and really thinking about what the play means to me and how i think it still i think it still works in these times because it does do overwrought teenage love really really well I think I can say that I felt that way when I was a teenager. Hang on one sec. But the That's my question though. The yeah, flip side of it, and it's not to say that it's not real because I remember feeling those things younger and then when it doesn't work out, you just feel like your heart is being ripped in two and you're never going to recover from it. But the thing that's sad about this is it is this kind of like sweet silly story about teenagers falling in love with each other at first sight, but then they are saddled with this blind hatred, this adult <clears throat> thing that nobody really, I mean, they kind, they say it's an ancient grudge, but does, and I think I've heard someone talk about 
what actually happened between the Montagues and the Capulets that they still hate one another to this day. So you kind of have this pure, fun, maybe even silly thing, and then it's saddled with this ridiculous, absurd adult thing that nobody can even tell where it began with. So it's almost like the chorus at the end should be like, what a fucking waste. Like, the reason why they kill each other in the end is because their parents and this thing that nobody knows where it even started, nobody can fucking get over that, so they can't be together, so they kill themselves. It's it's kind of such a waste of a really pure, kind of nice thing that I think a lot of people can relate to. Mm. Yeah, you. So you you you've said a lot there because you've yes. covered like a hundred <laughs> things that I think are worth like dissecting here. Which one of them is the my initial question that I wanted to ask, which is, weren't you overwrought with love at some point when you were thirteen to sixteen? Yes, I right? used to cry at the thought of like knowing that there were all these famous boys in Tiger Beat that would never be my boyfriends. Like <laughs> it hurt me when yeah. I was a teenager. Same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Scott. Uh in Tiger Beat, not back then. No. <laughs> um uh but no, it's it's uh, it's an absolutely valid point. I and it I think that that's why this still works and it still resonates is that the heart of it is this rawness that we all know, we all experience. And as I've gotten older, I think we've all gotten older our views on on love and what we seek in a partner are are way different and way more nuanced and well and, and you experience heartbreak over and over right. again and it's like yeah. i've done this before i'll get through it you know what i mean yeah. but it's important as fuck of yeah, course all right yeah. and i'm not even saying like when you're 13 it's important i'm saying like it is important like yes. now as a 31 year old i can look back and say fuck like those relationships were important as fuck they taught me a lot about how to be a partner now but they also taught me so much about like who I wanted to be as an adult and things like that. But I also, the argument that you brought up, CJ, that a lot of people have like, or the question, I guess, not the argument, that a lot of people would bring up is like, is this real love? They're so young. And my argument is, fuck yeah. Yeah. Because I was actually in love when I was that age. I wasn't ready to be a perfect partner and be married for the rest of my life. No. Right. But I was in love because love is a more powerful thing than an emotion right it is it is a state it is a um it's a driving force it's a controller right and mm -hmm. we'll talk about this more with mackers where you know a tragedy is about who or what is controlling the situation or controlling you mm -hmm. right and and what that means it's not about morality there's no morality to this play it's not really trying to say anything except that maybe that um you know, we shouldn't have such pressured uh, uh, put on these young children or anything to, to make to drive them into this kind of state because they feel like that's the only answer because of their family situation or whatever it may be, which is still prescient, right? It's still mm -hmm. very much today there are people who are, uh, you know, um, sheltered in a way that is just uh, inhumane, yeah. really and truly. But at the end of the day, like, this is so fucking sad and th yeah. this is what hit me again this time is like like these two kids these adolescents these children are gone they are dead at the end of this play there's maybe the the capulets and montagues uh 
are you know more uh solidified at the end there's the moment of sort of like okay well now we because they're dead we will build a uh, statue and our yeah exactly and like maybe that's a thing but like yeah it's the... they're fucking they're gone they're gone forever you know what i mean and he doesn't show any type of afterlife moment of like and they're together forever in the afterlife it's I'm like glad no they didn't no and <laughs> i am knows? too but you know what a lot of adaptations do that there's operas right. there's there's uh adaptations ballets of plays ballets the, yeah. where they do that where they show them like as they show angels them in at the heaven end. yeah, yeah. <laughs> they have and their ragtime like, ending uh, yeah right their and, blood brothers ending yeah, yeah exactly i'm glad you you, you brought this whole thread up um bailey because i literally wrote in the middle of my notes um it's truly sad it's truly tragic and it's because of the circumstances and the dumbness around it i i, I disagree with you slightly in that I, I i think he is talking about love but he's also talking about sort of dopey circumstances dopey homerism why do these families dislike each other ain't nobody probably got any real idea Sure. They just hate each other, and we see though that theme everywhere. You know, we have such. I I I, I can't remember. I posted on Twitter if I was having a conversation. Might have been with you, Siege, where I just said the the human capacity to create otherness is almost more than anything else. Yeah, it's it's to find the different. Sometimes I think we 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 just look for the differences. And we let that, you know, crap everything out. But then, because the other sad thing is that you lose Tybalt in this, and you lose Mercutio, and there are these two forces of nature on opposing sides that he introduces that are victims along the way. They get they've just been taken in by what their parents told them forever. Like you don't like that other side. That's it. You hate him. That's it. Yeah, and 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 that's where you know, and and then he. He, what he does too is, is Shakespeare. That is, is he gives us so much wonderfulness. Like the 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 speed at which the the depth is created between the two of them is amazing, and all that language and all that poetry is amazing. Mm-hmm. But then he drops in little things. Friar Lawrence is hope. He 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 fucks it up, but he keeps talking about hope. Like oh. When he when Romeo first comes to him, he's like, "Oh, this is a chance to bring the families together." I yes. love all of his scenes. Oh, in this yeah, play. I could do it. I could, we could do that. Or hey, let's get you out of town, and then when you come back, it's gonna be a parade because it's gonna You're be. Gonna and then figure uh, it out. But he yeah. gets he gets caught up in in the momentum of of the tragedy as well. And absolutely. And I think what makes this really important too is that it, this is really the only time it when i think i mean maybe there's something that i'm not thinking of but this is really the only time where our lead characters our our heroes if you want to call them that whatever mm-hmm. are not done in by their fatal flaw like they are in every other tra- tragedy hamlet mm-hmm. mackers everything else it's always about well they have this fatal flaw and it's about because love isn't a fatal flaw i don't think shakespeare's trying to say that at all no it is it is being held above other values family loyalty mother honoring your father and mother mm-hmm. uh non-violence not mm-hmm. killing people morality in general it's being held above that and sort of powering through those things but it's it's not because they are f- 
fatally flawed like Hamlet or right. Well, the flaw flaw is the families. This this might be a little too convoluted, but you could almost say like, (laughs) I mean, anytime I see Romeo and Juliet uh, and, and I remember feeling it in that moment, watching the Baz Luhrmann one, the moment where they find out that Mercutio's dead, Mm -hmm. there is a moment there where Romeo, where you could be like, dude, I got to take a step back here. I know what the rules are. I can't do this. And and he just rages out and kills Tybalt. I mean, I mean, you could almost say that that is a fatal flaw that kind of does everything in, even though it's it's the the history and the bullshit that's going on between the families that created that in the first place. But there's always this moment every time I see this where I'm like, man, why can't he just make a different decision in this moment? No, agreed, but I wouldn't call decision-making necessarily a fatal flaw because it's not something that drives him any other time in the play, right? Well, it's I mean, like a revenge rage. moment. Right, Sure, rage. sure, but I, you know, that's, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mean you I could think say the same also... thing for Tybalt, but I mean, he's... He's put forth as kind of this angry, rageful character to begin with. Right. And I mean, there's definitely a chain reaction that comes from the rage. I just don't think Romeo dies because he killed Tybalt. You know what I mean? Right. Oh, it just yeah. kind of starts everything and it right. starts his yeah. leaving. creates the it's, chain reaction. It's the, right. Yeah, it's the... It's the big event. And I'm not blaming Romeo. The catalyst. Yeah, please don't blame Romeo. Please, okay? I, we don't well, need any more I think, I think he, he's also, I mean, when he snaps and goes that way, it's also out of tremendous amount of guilt because he hasn't revealed the truth to yeah. his bestie. And if he hadn't gotten in between them, and then maybe he hadn't maybe gotten in between them. And then, right. then just the pain... Uh, and and when it's played well, and the Lerman movie does it, and the that old school '60s Romeo and Juliet does it, but the the uh, the the energy and the the drama of a plague on both your houses mm. moment that just like just is a punch in the balls for Romeo, like oh my god, like you know again my best friend because I couldn't tell the truth because all these circumstances wouldn't let me tell the truth about where I was and what was going on. And, and also fear, you know, what would the reaction be, you know? And I mean, the whole drama between the families is another reason why I really love the character of Benvolio, mm. that even though he's a Montague, he is constantly saying from the beginning, like, Hey guys, let's knock it off. Let's be at peace. And I just, I really, he's almost like, I mean, he reminds me of Horatio in a way, just someone Mm -hmm. that's trying to like keep the peace and make things better, but he's a kid. So he has no power to actually change things. He can just stand in between. Benvolio and Horatio, he, Shakespeare drops those characters in. I mean, Banquo is kind of one of those characters, Mm -hmm. this sort of sidekick, a moral ballast throughout the rest of the show that isn't successful usually um with with their with their task and but i see what he's doing and and i appreciate it i appreciate those characters yeah it's like a moral compass type yeah it's yeah that's why i like friar lawrence so much those i love friar lawrence this show just to me is like kind of the ultimate blockbuster right it's a marvel movie it's it's got swords it's got (laughs) jokes it's got Friar Lawrence. It's got love. It's got sex, theoretically. Mm-hmm. It's got, I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like, there's, and and one of the best play openings ever. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that with Mackers, because I think that's a really interesting play opening, too. But, like, 
to basically like come out. I think you said this last time, Scott, to come out and say like, here's the plot of the show and then still stick the landing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's Not radical. just the plot, the end. The end you know tells us exactly where it's, then, where it's headed. Yeah. It's big balls, man. And it is, uh, it, you know, this is, uh, and it's him at the top of his powers. You know, we talked about Titus being, you know, you know, people, you know, some critics, of Shakespeare will turn their nose up a little bit about on and on Titus Andronicus because it's uh, a it's he's he's you know using the revenge play thing and and all that but I think you know as we said we I thought he turned it on his head but with R and J he's yeah he's at full strength and it's funny like yeah. there's some great funny moments in it some great slapsticky like that right. first scene mm. you bite your thumb at me sir all that shit is brilliant mm. well and. Shakespeare really likes kind of showing you exactly what he's going to do and doing it. I, I remember my Shakespeare teacher talking about Richard III and how you watch Richard III on stage, come to the audience, say, hey, I'm going to fucking fuck with them this way. Watch me. Yeah. And then he goes and does it, and it works every time. Right. Yeah, yeah he liter- that play literally opens with him going... I'm 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 a deeply fucked up motherfucker, and now I'm gonna fuck up motherfuckers because I can, because I want to. Now evil is and the it's winter sexy. of our discontent. <laughs> now is the winter of our discontent. We got a year. By we got a year. Son, 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 not the sun. Son, get it? Fucking, fucking. I got things. Anyway. But yeah, uh, yeah. I again, Bailey, you kind of you teed you teed this rereading uh, of R and J off for me w- with going. I think it's I think it's really fucking good. And, ah, you know, Grumpy Scott is just like, Meh, I don't don't tell me about your Romeo and Juliet. Seen it, heard it, don't need to see it again. And then going, ah, oh, ah, oh, all right. Like it's yeah, <laughs> it's been overdone to death. Shakespeare in Love, I think, also like in our mind kills it but actually i mean we did that rewatch of shakespeare in love i think shakespeare in love really captures the essence of romeo and juliet better than anything has in a long time without mm-hmm. just doing romeo and juliet like it has that first love feel it has that kind of romeo like, and ethel the pirate's daughter exactly exactly <laughs> which we love um but i will say one of my favorite final lines of a play for never was a story of more woe than this of Juliet and her Romeo. He even I mean, rhymed it. No. <laughs> he nice does that a lot, Scott. Yeah, I know. He rhymes yeah. sometimes. He <laughs> does <laughs> rhyme sometimes. Got, got them couplets. Got He's them a poet couplets. and he didn't even know that he was that. Well, well he, he, he kind of knew it. Know. He kind of <laughs> knew. He, he knew. Was he was purpose. really keenly aware, actually. <laughs> Do you, uh, does anybody have a final thought on R&J? We did, we did cover a lot of, we talked about the movies uh, last time and some other things, so... Go back and listen to part one if you missed it. That'd be weird. It'd be weird um, I do have one. a slight digression or a slight question to ask real quick. What um, what have been some of your favorite settings of R&J? Yeah, I've seen it done all over the place in terms of um, where and when. My favorite one was it was they said it in American Revolution times and it was you know, a son of, or a daughter of an English officer and, you know, son of a, of a, of a rebel. And, and it was just, it was just gorgeous because those costumes are always gorgeous and, and and all that. But um, yeah, that one was interesting. I didn't see it, but I heard tell that I think 
Theatricum did a Romeo and Juliet that was supposed to be Israeli and Palestinian. Hot. That's cool. Wow. Um, yeah. But I didn't, <sighs> I didn't see it, so... I saw one in Kansas years ago. Like, I would have been in, like, middle school, and it was, like, college, local college or something Do it, doing it. I don't remember anything about it. I don't remember why I was there, but I do remember it was vampires. Mm, but, like, fun. not, like, they weren't, like, going <laughs> with, like, fangs or anything, but it had the, like... But they were hot and sparkly. They, they weren't sparkly, but they were pale. Yeah, all right. And it was, it, you know, it was definitely the essence of vampires as if it was these two feuding vampire houses. And I remember right. thinking at the time, because I was a big fan of the Underworld franchise when I was a kid. Sure, I remember sure. thinking at the time, why wasn't half of, why weren't half of them werewolves? <laughs> it should have been half werewolves, uh, half vampires, and they're... Lichens versus saying. vampires, yeah. Lichens and vamps, I'm just saying. Lichens and vamps. <laughs> it's a better take. I, I will say, just because... Um, I never, I never got a chance to play Juliet, and I've been thinking so much every time Bailey that I'm like, well, I think I'm too old for this, and then you like, yell at me for saying that. You want me to yell trying... again? I'll yell again. No, no, no. I've, I, I'll do I've it. actually I'll do been right thinking now. about it. I was like, is there a way to do this play, even, even maybe in a funnier way, where Romeo and Juliet are much older? I like saw in their 30s a and production, 40s. actually. Yeah. They didn't do the whole production. It was a stripped-down one at a elderly center. <gasps> uh, but they got... Um, it was mostly cast with people living in the in the home uh-huh. but then they had like the nurses playing some of the other parts like lady montague and like things like that um and then some of their kids were playing some of the parts too so <gasps> romeo and juliet were like in their 80s i That's love that cool. it yeah. was really cute they were reading the script but it was I'm, still really cute because i just still like especially juliet she's just got some really great fucking speeches sure oh yeah and and i used i used to have a monologue book that I probably had like 50 monologues in there that it was like, do I have an audition? I can pull this out. And I was just flipping through it the other day and I was like, I got shit for Juliet in here. I don't know if I'm going to be using any of these anytime soon. Right. Sure. I need to revamp it. I did also, um, this is just a fun thing that we did one summer at Shakespeare Youth Fest. We did because we had twins. We had two sets of twins. Uh, two boy twins and two girl twins. And so we did Romeo and Juliet. This was for summer, so it wasn't fully produced. But we did Romeo and Juliet and West Side Story next to each other, scene for scene. But, like, only the scenes that were, that are the same, like the balcony scene and things like that. It was only, like, two or three scenes. But they, it was only the Tony Maria scenes and Romeo and Juliet scenes, basically. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but, so the two twins were on opposite sides of the stage and the, they would do part of the scene here and then the part of the scene here, part of the scene here, part of the scene uh, here. Right. It was just oh, cool. going back and forth. It was super good. Um, and then instead of songs, they spoke the lyrics, but kind of in a Shakespearean way to give it this kind of, it was good. I, that, that's I don't know. fun. I, I like thought it, it was kind of rocking. I remember uh, having a lot of fun with that. That was years ago. Um, okay. Romeo and Juliet, are we done with this? I think yeah. so. I'm good. Thanks for did, picking that a, page. Yeah. yeah. What, a, what a treat to revisit. Well, there's a lot of obvious tragedies when you think of tragedies, and I this isn't always the first one you think of when you think of tragedies, but it is right. the most obviously like known play. But I was kind of the like, most you know, Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm glad we got to dissect it and kind of look at it from a different lens and be like, hey, maybe it's not just because it's overdone doesn't mean it's bad. Yeah, right. you know yeah. what I mean. 
Yeah. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's like yeah. uh, it's like uh, uh, Fool for Love. Just because it's overdone doesn't mean it's bad. <laughs> I've True never West. seen Fool for Love. True West. Midsummer I love Night's True Dream. West. Yeah. Uh, fucking um, uh, fucking um, Hamilton. No, I'm. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, all right. Let's move on. Yeah. What's yeah. our next one, Scott? It is um the Scottish play. Um, uh, it is the tragedy of. A guy whose first name mm-hmm. uh, is kind of like McDonald's, but kind we of. can't say it. But we can't. Are we really we not going to say it this whole time? CJ, you do whatever the fuck you, you want. Okay. You but I'm no, telling you, I but I'm telling you right now, I have I'm always per- in a theater. I have performed right. in my room theater stuff, so now I feel right. like That's I'm right. in I'm uncharted territory. Room. Theoretically, you should be okay. Theoretically, you're right, CJ, and I hate I, you. Do whatever the fuck. I'm you not want. saying I'm and right or wrong. I'm I'm saying I respect people's superstitions. That's why I was asking: Are we really not going to say? I don't names? typically respect people's superstitions, <laughs> and so I respect and, people's theater superstitions. Fair enough, but th- this one's one that that I've never been able to shake uh, in terms of shake. Okay. Ah, have you? Uh, okay, well then, my question is: As we get into this, is have either of you ever witnessed? things going wrong because people were like fuck it and they said it in the theater um that's a question for maybe a little bit later yeah, or we can discuss I, it now yeah, let's get no, into I've it let's got, go got, right yeah now. let's do it um i i did do like research on where that cur- what the i mean i think we all know what the roots of the of it were but i was a little fascinated there was stuff i didn't know about the roots of the curse and how oh. that all started. I know the whole superstition about not whistling in a theater about that. Well, that's less superstitious and history. more legitimate because yeah. there used to be sailors working up in the fly lines. Yeah. And if you called the wrong thing, they might drop something on your face. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. That's a legitimate one. Yes. The Mackers one, Scott, do you have a more, I, mine is, I barely know why that thing exists. Yeah. And I'm also honestly also it's 99.9% a bit for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it's just kind of funny to be like constantly avoiding it, which is, I think what Scott was doing with his, ah. with his uh, beginning intro, but yeah. According to folklore, the Scottish play was cursed from the beginning, a coven of which of witches objected to Shakespeare using real incantations. So they uh-huh. put a curse on the play. Legend has it the play's first performance around 1606 was riddled with disaster. The actor playing Lady M died suddenly, so Shakespeare himself had to take on the part. Other rumored mishaps include real daggers being used in place of stage props uh, for the murder of King Duncan, resulting in an actor's death. Uh, The play hasn't had much luck since. The famous Astor Place riot in New York... Uh, in 1849, caused by rivalry between American actor Edwin Forrest. Hey, hey, hold on, hold on. Let me tell this story. This is worth actually telling. I don't want it to be dropped like that. This is a great story. Okay. (laughs) So in 1849, headed into 1850, in New York, there was a humongous, huge street fight that broke out. It was a riot. Okay, and it it was characterized as an actual riot. Now, what they were fighting was there were two factions, two houses, two divided. households, two houses. Two households. <laughs> the, the, they were the supporters of two different actors and they, who they wanted to play Macbeth. OK. <laughs> and they met on the streets to literally rumble over who should be playing this Macbeth. I okay? fucking love that. <laughs> Between Edwin Forrest 
and William Charles McCready. So these people are the original stands. They are. <laughs> okay? This is pre-Eminem. This is pre-Devin Sawa. The original stands. These are the stands. These are the real ones. 1850 New York theater goers. That's a true stand. You're going to fight for your actor? That's sick. I That's want a pause. 20, 20 people died. 20 people wow. yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. Let's get back to that. Make America that again. Let's do that. Over theater. Over theater yes. plays. Yes, please. I would um, rather us be fighting about that than anything else. Oh my god, right. right? But apparently, so one of the reasons that there are even witches in this is because of James the Sixth of Scotland, who became James the First. Yes. And uh because he was the one that started witch hunting and shit. He was the one that was obsessed with ah. witches. So Shakespeare was tipping his hat, but then he used real incantations that he had researched and the local Wicca were like, uh -uh. Also, also the, all the witches scenes are in eight time instead of 10. So right. it sounds That's more right. like a spell. Yeah. Um, uh, do we want to hear a breakdown on this? No. Yes. We absolutely okay. should. CJ's Breakdown. A play where women pull the strings and the men don't know it. Three witches tell Macbeth that he will be king of Scotland. Encouraged by his wife, Macbeth kills the king, becomes the new king, and kills more people like evil Shakespearean kings do. Civil war erupts to eventual defeat. True. True. Yeah. That's really I, cool. Go ahead. I just, I have a very, this play has a very special place in my heart because... It, and I know I've mentioned it briefly, it was the first show that I started getting my equity points. And I did this up at Theatricum, like this summer that I turned 23 or something. And uh, Ellen Gear, they're really into witchy stuff up there anyway. It's all outside. It's very hippie. It's very natural. And so we had 13 witches in the show. And at the beginning Lord. of it, she told all of us, I want you all to bond as a group. So we got together probably a half dozen times and like met in the middle of the night and cast circles like on the stage or out on the beach. And she was really, I mean, I realized that the way I told that breakdown is, is very specific to how I feel about the play. She made the play, the witches play anytime anything was being spoken of on stage that was supposedly part of the prophecy there we were spread out all over the stage there and if anyone doesn't know theatricum botanicum it is a like a 400 seat outdoor amphitheater in the woods it's beautiful up there we would make noises off stage whether it was just creepy shrieky sounds or some of us had weird instruments and stuff um, and one of our reviews was someone called us a Twyla Tharp dance troupe gone wrong. Um, <laughs> Is that so, a compliment? It sounds like yeah, a compliment. Yeah, we thought it was a great compliment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, it just, it was a really, really fun, I had a tiny part. I mean, we obviously had the three main witches that did all of the lines, but I just, I love this place so much. Uh, and I loved the way that we did it. Um, it was just a really, it was a really fun six months of theater that summer when I did Macbeth. Mm. Well, the be the beginning of this play, I brought this up a little bit with RNJ. The beginning of this play is one of the most memorable Shakespearean openings, right? The Three mm -hmm. Witches. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I would argue, 
RNJ and Macbeth are his two best opening scenes. I mean, I'm talking about because I love the the opening narration um, prologue of uh, of RNJ, but also just that first scene with the guys meeting um, is just such a great scene. But this is like his ultimate because if you think about, well, the third one is the third one is Taming of the Shrew, the actual beginning of Taming of the Shrew, where it's a party and they're telling the story of Taming of the Shrew. Oh right, yeah, yeah. I'm that's a, big a fan great of the Henry opening. Henry V prologue, personally, but I just like that sure. speech. Sure, <laughs> but the, but also ev- almost every other one is either just a speech or just two people talking. Right. Right, 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 and like the, these ones that start off with like something different. Like this one is real different. We're we're thrown right into supernatural or, or what we assume is supernatural right away. I can only imagine being in that audience. With, it says thunder, lightning. I can imagine like the people in the back backstage with the metal sheets going coo 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 coo, and that audience just being like, "What the fuck? what's happening?" It right? was fun when we did like the eight or eight thirty shows on Saturday nights, and then it would sure. be like eleven o'clock when people were getting out of there. But yeah. think about like a like an audience who has never heard like sound effects before, <laughs> because every other play they were doing before this doesn't have thunder as the first sound, right? Yeah. So yeah. these audience, these groundlings are probably just like, "What the fuck?" Right? And oh, I can't yeah, even yeah, imagine yeah, yeah. that sounds amazing. Um, but something that kind of interested me this time, and you you said um, it's a play run by women, where the women are pulling all the strings, and I, I totally agree with that. However, I was thinking about this. Which is actually not gender specific at this time. We did have a male witch in our group. And That's he cool. Played one of the mains. Yeah. That's rad. I yeah. think what's interesting about it is directors have. It's become sort of a cliche that it's these three female characters that come out sure. and things like that. Now, obviously, people mess with gender casting and, and whatever, but I think it's it's interesting that people automatically go to. Oh, they're like the muses or whatever, you know, like they're, they're yeah. these three female energies that do this thing. And it's and right. I guess they say sister a couple times, maybe. Yeah, they call but themselves the weird, weird sisters, the weird sisters. Right. But it's sort of like that doesn't mean anything necessarily. And like, I think what's cool about them is they can be anything. Like you said, oh, CJ, yeah. like you can cast anybody. In fact, um, the best production I've seen of this uh, did it was at. I think it was she and her or the coterie in Kansas city, one of the two. And it was, they did, they were puppets. The witches were puppets. Ooh. And it was awesome. Yeah. There were, I think three people running one puppet, but they were flying over the audience and they were, you know, they were just these amorphous things. They didn't, the voices were just disembodied, like kind of weird, like I'm a, I'm a witch. I come gray Malkin, you know, uh-huh. that kind of thing. Uh-huh. It didn't have gender. It didn't have anything. And they just felt like these dementors almost, almost, that to me is a really exciting way to start a show, mm-hmm. and I I, I, I want to see more directors go in that Something direction. That make, just anything that makes people feel creeped out. Yeah, and, and it sounds like, like that that theatrical one was kind of that way, where it's like we just step away a little bit from the cliche, like three women standing around a, a cauldron. Yeah, I going, was mm, totally I was in up in a tree for half of the play. That's sick. Yeah, I saw. I, oh, go ahead. Well, the last thing, the last fun casting thing we did, um, and he he just passed last year during COVID. Bill Hunt played our Duncan, but then right after they killed him off stage, he came back and he played the Porter, <laughs> and uh-huh. he was great. He was great in both of them, but oh, it was some cool. fun casting. Okay, go on, Scott. No, I was just gonna say I saw something similar. I saw like. Um... 
a multimedia thing where it wasn't puppets. It was an actress, but her limbs, uh, the main witch, her limbs were controlled by puppeteers. Mm. And so she sort of stood like on a ladder or a platform and like her head moved and then they moved her body. But then they would do a video thing where they would move like they would become wind and they would and then they would appear on the other side of the stage. It was like a magic trick. Ooh, and it was cool. just it was just really cool. Like That's rad. And they created these heights for them so that they look like they were these towering supernatural figures. Which brings me to a slight digression regarding the um the film, the Melian Cotard uh Fassbender film where my biggest criticism of it, there's a lot of stuff I like about that film, but that they're intentionally trying to strip the supernatural from it. Mm. You well, know yeah, I... they, they, they literally, all of the main scenes of the witches, they have, I, I loved there's how no they prophecy. did. There's no prophecy? There's no prophecy. They don't do double, double toil and trouble. They don't do no. that whole scene. They don't do the Hecate they do, scene. They do part of the prophecy. I, I, yes, I loved how they did the ghosts, like how he was walking in the field and there were just all of these figures walking by him. I loved, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. That I was... loved how they handled that. But yeah, I just, my feeling about that film, and I, I understand why people like it, and I thought it was good, but they should have said it was like a historical drama about Macbeth and not used the Shakespeare. Because like he, they didn't do all the good speech devices from the play, and everything was just really slow and one level for me. Um, but it was See, yeah. it was good. It looked cool, and everyone did good performances and everything. I just didn't like it as Shakespeare's Macbeth at all. See, I really liked how they handled the language in it, in terms of because because I just watched R and J, which is Baz Luhrmann, so it's going to be turned up anyway. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But watching it like be like just being uttered like like quietly like person to person like so many times when we see adaptations of uh of shakespeare the the language is still big because most of the people have done the language before so it's still kind of turned up and this was one of the first times that i just was like it's grounded as heck but there's elements that i i didn't like so i think that what he was doing the director and fassbender in the production was that they're not ghosts, that they're all in his head. Hmm. Because that's the question, isn't it? Like, that, I liked that's the addition the of his children being around. Yeah. Well, I like the very beginning, too, showing them burying their child. Yeah. Well, and him putting his kid into battle, and then the kid oh, is yeah. actually the one holding the dagger yes, for the dagger yeah, speech. Yeah. Right, which yeah. Bailey loved the dagger speech. You haven't heard it yet. I will say... Uh, <laughs> Because madness is the Fine, biggest, is the hugest part of this, right? It's a it's madness. Mm -hmm. It's and I like that, Scott. I like that take because then it is about. I mean, Lady M's slow descent into it, but then you see Macbeth having a different version of that same descent, mm -hmm. um, and therefore seeing these ghosts, which you could argue for Hamlet as well. I think. Sure. Oh yeah. Or even Richard the Third, or I... anything like that. I think it just, yeah, I think it makes it more of a descent into madness where, I mean, you can almost see it like, and again, it was the way that we did our production of Macbeth where 
he is being run so much by this prophecy that he heard, which is why he keeps going back to get reassurances from them. And that's how he's living his life. It reminds me of people that I hear of now that go and get their cards read regularly so they know how to live their life for the next couple months type mm-hmm. of thing. Right. Sure. Right. Um, yeah, it's um, it, it, it's an interesting take and it's an interesting way to play it that way. The big difference between Hamlet and and the Scottish play is that other people see it too. Other people see the ghost. That's true. That's true. Oh, and in Hamlet. this one, this one, it's just him seeing it. Because even yeah, not in M- Richard, the, not in Richard three though. Only he sees oh. them in Richard three. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. My bad. My bad. My bad. But even so, but yeah. that's also a similar kind of downfall of a you know political figure kind of thing. Um, have you ever seen the Patrick Stewart one? Yeah, Macbeth. Yeah, I haven't. It was it was available, and I just didn't get time to watch it. I recommend it. I know that Macbeth is a slow, hard to watch kind of thing, but I love this filming of it. It's all shot at Welbeck Abbey, um, Mm -hmm. and it's on like on location, and it's like supposed to be sort of nineteen sixties Romania, which is weird because I don't have any context for that, but it still like fully works for me. And the three witches are these nurses, these like um, nurses, but they're like uh, um, sanitarium nurses. Hmm. And it gives you this kind of feel of like maybe Macbeth is in a institution and sort of seeing all of like the whole play. That's cool. Almost, because they keep showing back up and just like being in shots. They're just like there and then gone. And so and it's scary. Like it's actually kind of scary. Um I like it. I, I, I recommend it. I will say I I do appreciate like I'm always down for someone that will do, and I I can't remember who was telling me about this. They did a completely different telling of Macbeth. I always dig it where it's kind of like the fairies in Midsummer. Can you tell the story in a way where the witches just aren't these filthy, creepy characters? Make them something else that still works. Like the fairies Mm -hmm. don't necessarily have sparkles and wings on. There's something else. And someone told me about, and it's a film version of Macbeth where he goes down to a trash dump to find the witches. And then like the ending of the play is Donald Ben going to, mm. going mm. to see the witches to betray Malcolm. I can't remember who was telling me about that, but I'm always down for like a new retelling that maybe they're not necessarily these creepy, craggy bearded weirdos right. in the middle of the woods, you know? Right No. Yeah. And, and you know, playing with, I think it's inter- like my favorite. So, my favorite Shakespeare film adaptation, period, is Throne of Blood, which is Kira Kurosawa's Scottish play. Right. And mm. he does it in 90 minutes. There's not mm. a lick of Shakespeare used in it, but he uses, uh, he uses Japanese ghosts. He uses Japanese cool. witches and that sort of thing so that it builds. And then, like... Is he doing, like, kabuki-type stuff, like, with the... the- Painting, it's historically set, it's historically set so yes there are, is a lot of face painting and the, uh-huh. and the way that lady m's face paint changes as the cool. play goes on is really it, it's one i it's i love it so much cuz you feel 
the tragedy. You feel them pulling each other down, which I think is the key. I think too often people are like, Lady M's the one who's, who's you know, the evil one who's made him do that. And I'm like, no, he's, he, because he's planting shit in her head too. And they, they pull each other down. Power, I think it's, yeah. Power lust pulls them both down, you know, and the cycle of, then once the murders start, they don't stop. It get bloody. I one thing I think I feel about this play too, whether it's play form or a movie, is I've always felt that Macbeth is a runaway train from the beginning. It starts from the beginning and it should just blast through till mm-hmm. the very. It should just be nonstop until you get to the very very end and he's finally beheaded. Yeah, the, and, um, the, and his quiet moments or or their quiet moments, the 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 soliloquies and that sort of thing, they they they. Often Shakespeare will have these, you know, the, their thoughts, their, their, this time that they're reflecting and it. It's it's a reflection. And but for each of these, it escalates the, the storyline. Yes. You know, like you, you, he gets crazier and crazier and, and she gets crazier and crazier um, as well. Well, and if you're a big speech nerd for his for Shakespeare stuff, this is one of his plays where I feel like he's pulling out all the stops using all of the math and the the. the all of his favorite little tools where he's, I, I feel like Shakespeare is directing the play half the time through the text. Mm. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I can feel that too. And I think, I think we, you know, we're talking about like what's pulling them to uh, do all these murders. Right. Mm-hmm. Or like, is it Lady M? Is it him? Is it, you know, who, who's at fault? If any, if anyone, but again, I want to bring up what I brought up earlier about RNJ and about how tragedies are kind of inherently about control who is in control of what's happening or who's in control of your fate who or what is in control of your fate why why is what's happening happening Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. sort of the question that's constantly being um posed here and i think what is controlling mostly uh mackers but also lady m is fear right and there's there's this sort of like Okay, well, Banquo's gonna have a, a lineage of of uh, kings. He's gonna have dynasties after him. Well, I, I have to kill him. Uh, you know, Duncan. Well, I gotta kill his kid. If I don't I kill ki- his kid, right? Yeah. Exactly. You know what I mean? I gotta kill Macduff's kids because he's a nobleman that I'm worried about too. You know, and it's it's sort of like it, it, he's being driven by fear. And I also just realized that the plot of Mackers is the exact same plot of as Head Over Heels. Oh. The musical, <laughs> the opening of the that. show, this oracle comes out and gives a prophecy. Uh, this monarch hears the prophecy and takes it all wrong, and then starts uh, trying to fix the prophecy by. Uh, but of course, therefore fulfills the prophecy, kind of thing. You it's know, the story of showgirls. It's showgirls. It's showgirls. <laughs> it's showgirls. It's Paul Verhoeven's showgirls. Um, no, but I, I do think at the end of the day, this play, and I, in my notes I wrote, that this play is kind of about, and this is a little pretentious, but it's about like being caught in the present. Like completely unable to get to the future or the next moment, which is extremely relatable. It's like we're, we're kind of all, especially in the pandemic, we've all just been in this state of like, 
okay, but what's, I, I, I want to get to the next thing. I want to book that role. I want that job. I want that, whatever. We're always looking to the future, but what does it feel like to just be in that time where nothing's happening and you're just doing anything, including murder in this one to get to the next step? Mm-hmm. How do I get to my future? I want my future. Everyone says the future is great. Where's my future? I want the future. I'm going to just do whatever I can to get it. Right. And that's the drive here. That's the control here. And that's so relatable to me. Now, I wouldn't kill for it. <laughs> um, but I but. think there's there's truth to it. And I think um, I was going to make a bad Adnan Saeed joke, but I'm not going to do it. Um, <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> uh, what else? Anything else about Max? Um, I will say uh, it ended up being always being a funny joke every night, and I don't think it's supposed to be, but it's it's when um, the Civil War is starting. England, uh, Malcolm has built up England. They're coming back to get Macbeth, and he's got Seton that keeps coming in and out of every scene. And I don't know, this exchange always makes me laugh. It's where Seton comes in, he says, he's trying to tell him how many soldiers are at his gate, and he goes... <laughs> And Macbeth is talking about geese for some reason. And Seton comes in and he says, there are 10,000, sir. And he goes, geese, villain. And he goes, soldiers, sir. And <laughs> the, guy, the guy that read it. it you can get her. some laughs out of that. He, yeah, he got laughs out of it every fucking night. It's one of my favorite exchanges in the play. It always That's makes a, me laugh. I love that. And, and I love when you can find that in these tragedies because you have to. Yeah, when so the servants, when you see the servants just being like, this guy is fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, another scene that I have always loved in this play, and it's, again, because the scene that we did, the way we did it at Theatricum was so good, is the scene where Lennox comes and tells Macduff that his wife and fam, all his pretty chickens and his dam in one fell swoop, all of his castle has been killed. And the guy that played Macduff, his name's Aaron Hendry, and he's just a big strapping, like, red-bearded mountain man. And he's always Sounds in the hot. seasons up there. And he's he played our Claudius when we did Hamlet. He's a really good actor, but he's, he's like, a super muscly, like, super masculine sword swing. Like, he's a blacksmith and makes his own broadswords for the shows and shit. Is he single? <laughs> he's not. Yeah, uh, but I just, it really struck me. And I know that, I mean, I think a lot of people would say, well, it's not right for the scene. But he actually, every night when they told him, he broke down into tears every night where he talked about, he said, they said, uh, feel it as, take it as a man or something. He says, I will do so, but I should, I will also feel it as a man. And he, mm. at this point, is in complete fucking tears. And I, every night, or, Mac- or Macbeth wasn't so great, but I would always run backstage just to hear that scene every night. And I've nice. always loved that Macduff scene. Always. It's such a good, it's just such a good stopper of humanity in the midst of all of this, you know, murder and bloodshed and craziness. And I've always loved that scene. I, um, I dig, um, one of my favorite quotes is, uh, Banquo's. Uh, or, or have we eaten on the insane roof that takes the reason, uh, takes the reason prisoner as like mm. insane roof, insane roof is <laughs> like, why did I not know this in like high school when I was doing like my bands, like insane roof would have been uh. a cool band name. <laughs> insane Mc- roof. <laughs> Michael McFall was our banquo. When oh, I did right Macbeth. on. A shout out to Michael McFall. Cool. He's dude. a very good actor. Very yeah. cool guy too. Yeah. Uh, Oh, and then the other thing, Our Lady Macduff, 
was pregnant was like eight months pregnant in that scene too so when they came in to kill her they started by stabbing her in the stomach first stabbed that baby it was real brutal yeah if you're gonna do it do it right i like this play it's a good play maybe this would be my favorite i don't know i can't decide yet we'll get to it it. we'll get to it um yeah i i i had uh recently confessed on twitter that i had never I at least had no memory of ever sitting down and reading this play. Mm-hmm. I I'd seen it many times. I knew the story. Like it wasn't, um, it wasn't anything I felt ignorant of. But having the pleasure of sitting down and reading it, and and sort of, I read it in, a, in sort of three very quiet states, um, was was fucking awesome. And everything popped out in a different way. Again, rediscovering and. Discovering shit's been one of the joys of doing this podcast and working with you too, of well, course. <laughs> well, but no, this this was um, this is a badass motherfucker. I would love to be involved with it at some point. Well, and Macbeth to me is one of those. It's one of the Shakespeare's. Like, there's some of them that make me roll my eyes. That I'm like, nah, I don't need to see that play in a while. But I will always sit down for a Macbeth. I love. I it's one of my favorites. I love this play. Well, you better it go outside be and times. run around and spin around three times and spit. Listen, if if something happens and this building falls down, so long as nobody dies, it, it'll be okay. If the building falls down, people are going <laughs> to die, CJ. I want it to fall down with nobody in it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. What if the cats are still in it, though? Let's stop it. Okay. Everyone will have taken their cats to the vet that day. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, no dead kittens on this podcast. Um. Yeah. So there's a few other tragedies that we didn't cover, obviously. Sure. Um, his first one is is considered to be Titus Andronicus. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then his next one was Romeo and Juliet. We What's didn't space re- this oh. out very well. Huh. Uh, his next one after that is Julius Caesar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good one. It's Great good one. one. Yeah. Followed mm-hmm. by Hamlet. Mm-hmm. Followed by Troilus and Cressida. I know that one a little less. I've seen it twice, um, both times performed by youth at Shakespeare Youth Fest, and both times it was deliciously good. It was really good. It's a good show when you do it right. Um, Othello. Oh, love it. King Lear. Mackers. And then he has three more. He does Timon of Athens, which is great. Uh, Antony and Cleopatra, which is also phenomenal. I got to get into that one. It's a really good one. I think you'd uh, really like that. Coriolanus. Oh yeah, Coriolanus. They they recently did a Coriolanus that like came out on Amazon or or Netflix or so, like just in the last. Did, wouldn't like Voldemort in it or something? Uh, Rafe. Oh yeah, yeah, Rafe did it. Rafe did it. You're right. Ralph? I haven't seen it. Ralph. <laughs> Ralph. Ralph Fiennes. Ralph. Fiennes? His, mama, his mama named him Ralph. I'm gonna call him Ralph. Um, but it's the old English pronunciation. That's what. <laughs> Rafe. Rafe. <laughs> I remember watching an interview when he blew up uh, with Schindler's List, and they were like, "What?" You know, some Hollywood reporter. What's what's the what's the story behind your name? It's the old English pronunciation. That was it. Like he just looked daggers through this motherfucker. It was just like that's why. That's why it's Rafe. Fuck I him. speaking Fuck of Rafe Fines, I finally went and saw the Bond film last weekend. And there was one scene where he was like yelling at Daniel Craig, blah, blah, blah. And then there was a short moment where there was quiet on screen and I whispered, Avada Kedavra. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I just don't trust him with a nose on screen anymore. It's true. Well, <laughs> but he's so charming in Grand Budapest. I don't know. Oh my god, I love him in that. I gotta yeah. see that. You haven't seen Grand Budapest? Well, okay, that's like his best performance. I all say. right, all right. Yeah, um, maybe not ever, but it's his best like contemporary performance. Since they he's say been he's a... fucking badass on stage. I saw his hand. I'd love to see that. You saw, saw what? His, I saw his Hamlet back in the day. Oh wow! Oh my word! Yeah, it was. Uh, it, I literally got like sit in the aisle tickets. Like, Ooh, <laughs> yeah. and the That's whole funny. stage was like pine planks. It was like this really weird, cool, very theatrical, old school aesthetic, but very modern too. And he was he was fucking great. Not my favorite Hamlet, but he was fucking great. All right, yeah. y'all. I think it's time to do my favorite part what? of this podcast. What are you uh, even talking about? Bailey loves ranking shit. I do. I love it. Do you? I don't want to go. Make me go last. Can I go last, please? Sometimes yep. I don't know if you if you really love it. I love it. I live <laughs> for it. It's my life. It is. It is. It's funny, and we should tell our audience there are times just sitting there and hanging out with you guys where where the conversation will go. Okay, let's rank them. Let's do it right now. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> I want to hear your rankings. Let's yeah, go. Let's go. <laughs> um, I love it. Um, okay, I'll go first. Okay. Uh, number three, Titus Andronicus. Uh-huh. Number two, Macbeth. Number one, Romeo and Juliet, the greatest love loves the, <laughs> the greatest love We're the gonna, greatest love story ever told. We're gonna have to ask you to leave the podcast. <laughs> Packing up. All right, I'll go next. Um, and these are all really, really close for me. I kind of hemmed and hawed and then just pulled the trigger. Love them. So, Titus, Romeo and Juliet, the Scottish play. Okay, okay, okay. So Titus, Romeo and Juliet, and McBee. But I don't feel, I, I just, I like all of them a lot. And especially yeah, on no, this revisit, I like all of them more than I remembered. Yeah, me I too. I find too. more tragedy in Romeo and Juliet than the other two, because the other two feels like tarantino senseless killing uh-huh. whereas this what they're both trap they're so all you're tra- rating the most tragic no no not necessarily <laughs> i'm just saying i think i find so much more sadness and like catharsis in romeo and juliet yeah. with just like oh you know like yeah like that makes so sense. oh young they don't understand <laughs> what they're doing it's so important and like <laughs> and like mackers and titus both i'm sort of like now nah, you got what you deserve. <laughs> that sucks. That's a, that's a good explanation. I yeah. like that. Those are and all I, good. I just care more about Romeo and Juliet. They, they. I want to kiss them. No, no I don't. That's weird. They're young. Um, <laughs> I want to tap them on the head and tell them that they're great. Okay, so is that all? Did we all rank them? Yeah, we, we did. Them. Okay, then the new question is, do you have any... Dream. Dream. Do I? Do I? Tell us, Siege. Okay, I have a really long list. Uh, Tamara, Nurse, Friar Lawrence, Mercutio, Tybalt, Benvolio, Lady Macbeth, Macbeth, Hecate, Macduff, and the Porter. (laughs) The Porter. Yes. Okay. Scott? Uh, Yeah, Friar Lawrence is is up there for me. Um, I would love to play Mercutio or Tybalt. I, either of those if you ever did a, a weird production and then like pretty much anybody in 
And I normally don't do this. I normally don't jump up and go, I want to play that part. But I would love to play Mackers. I would love to get yeah. good, mm, dirty fucking cool. Mackers. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, in If I was going to be in uh, Titus, I would either want to be one of the brothers. Oh, Kyron yeah, me Demetrius, too. Because that'd yeah, be really yeah, fun. Yeah. yeah. Or um, like Marcus. Andronicus. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that'd be kind the of a fun brother. part. Yeah, he gets a lot of good speeches too. And then um for Romeo and Juliet, Friar Lawrence, uh I'll I would probably get cast as one of the you know, heads of households. Um Capulet's a good one, I think. Yeah, I mean they're He's both got the they're both stuff. all right. Yeah, I don't I don't know. That one's I want to direct it really badly. And then um What's the third one? Scottish play. Scottish one. Uh, I don't know. I think it would be really fun to, again, direct that one or, like, be the voice of the witches or something. Or, mm-hmm. like, mm. you know, like, I don't know. There's, like, there's interesting things I would like to do with it that I, in uh, playing any part in it would be awesome. It would just mm-hmm. be so fun. To, Banquo would be really fun. Yeah. Banquo would be great. Oh, part. that'd be fun. Actually, part. that's probably what I'd want to do. I, uh... Titus is the one I want to direct the most. Mm-hmm. Like I would like to just go full bent, uh, bloody, and uh, and do it that way. Absolutely. Yeah. Have you all watched the show Slings and Arrows? Oh yeah, I've watched the first couple episodes. I but I just never finished it. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. It's only three seasons, six episodes each, so it's like really easy to get through. It's all on YouTube, I think. But the uh, third, each season follows the arc of whatever show they're putting on. Yep. And the third season is Macbeth. I think it's the third season. Mm-hmm. No, it's the second season. The it's first the one's season. Hamlet, mm-hmm. right? First one's Hamlet. The second one is. Fuck. I think the second no. one is Macbeth because then in the third season, they have just taken it to Broadway and then it oh. starts the n- new play, whatever it is. Um, but it is. It is one of the best seasons of television ever, whatever. But the scene where, uh, with, there's a scene where basically the guy who is playing Macbeth has like taken control of this whole production and been like, no, this is how we're doing it because this is how it's always done. And the director's like, no, we're trying to change it and flip it on its head. And he's like, we don't do that. It's classic. And so one night he gets the entire cast in on it and he said, and they all like change everything about the show all the blocking all of the ways that like in where entrances are and like where set pieces are moving just to like screw with the guy playing Macbeth wow and the guy playing Macbeth ends up having like a panic attack through the whole thing trying to get through the show and it gets like a standing ovation people are like oh it's one of the best episodes of television I just gave it away but it's it's (laughs) it's like the you know fourth episode of something of season uh two but I, I recommend that show to everybody. It's fantastic. It's, it's also how Rachel McAdams sort of got her start, and just a lot of really good actors. And uh, Mark McKinney from Kids McKinney in the Hall. direct. Uh, oh. He also um, produced he it, produced and, and created wrote it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, he's uh, the woman who plays one of the parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's and Kids anyway. in the Hall is coming back, so I'm really excited. Oh, that's exciting! Is it the four dudes? Uh, I think there's five of them. Yeah, but all five of them are back five together. Dudes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. They were, able, they were able. They were able to write together over COVID, and that's so fun. And they're and you and you only hear nice things about all of them. Like they're yeah. all like nice people, good people. So Aww, yeah. I love it. Yeah. 
All right. Uh, are we done? We want to go. Do you have any LA thing? The thing? LA Spotlight. Um, there, theater is starting to come back to life. There's a lot of craziness because of AB5. Um, Sacred Fools, of which we are all three members, uh, is currently casting uh, How We Got On by Idris Goodwin. If you are interested in auditioning, check out sacredfools.org. Uh, the link and information is all there, but we'd love to have as big a turnout as possible. And, um, you know, there's uh, it's a paycheck. It's uh, We're hiring actors and Woot. stuff, right? Wait. Like, it's nice to to be doing that sage you got any no i don't get your tickets to head over heels at the pasadena playhouse head uh, over heels we got to figure out when we're going yes. head over heels dance party um you're loose you're swinging hey thank you all for yes. joining us yes. for part two of Titus Padronicus yes. uh, and the end of our Shakespeare's Tragedies miniseries. And, and officially the end of our second season. Officially like, the end of season two. For we'll the rest stuff. of the year, we're going to be doing some bonus episodes, some mm stuffs. In fact, we need to plan those. <laughs> we do need to plan it, but you know what? I, I'm going to call it right here and now. I think our next one either needs to be this one thing or this other thing and i need you two to vote on it right now here we go it okay. either needs to be the marvel cinematic universe or harry potter i think harry potter is going to be easier to put together faster what does that mean i i mean i think the marvel's going to take hours and hours and hours and hours of recording oh i i i, I would hope I, it would take less than three hours for all of those movies I yeah, think... we're not gonna talk through everything about them i okay. think we just have to like rank them and and sort of get out our our initial thoughts and do like a basic performance review of the top people i think okay, that'll well, be cool. a, i can do either of those and i'm I, excited about both of them i think so. it's more of like setting aside a day where we just kick it and record Gab. uh yeah. but th so that might be more difficult but that what about might. we're having a production meeting right now but i'm okay with it what about <laughs> harry potter what are what are our feelings on that my feelings with harry those. potter is that that will be an easier one to do a simpler yeah. one and a single episode so that's the only reason i would say let's do that first but you know we're gonna do them all we're gonna yeah, do them all true. we just don't know what order we just don't if know we're doing order. harry potter and this is this is inside baseball but if we're doing harry potter and it's only one episode then we should record two other episodes at the same time so that we have stuff for the next few weeks while i'm in production and won't have as much time to record and thanksgiving's coming up and thanksgiving yeah uh just a thought uh yeah. so either way um but we love you all mm -hmm. subscribe uh-huh please rate review Yes. Please. Oh, yes. And if y'all have questions or comments or suggestions, or you want to tell us how pretty we are or how pretty you are or mm -hmm, what's mm -hmm. going on in your life or corrections or stuff you want to hear us do in this kind of like off time in between season two and three, we would love to hear from you. You can email us. You can also reach us on the grams or Facebook or Twitter. Scott. Thank you, CJ. Hey, a big shout out to Ryan Thomas Johnson for writing our theme song and our stingers. Our theme song is better than your theme song. It's true. It yeah. is true. Also want to give a big shout out to Pamela Quinn 
who's written amazing songs for us all season. Uh, wait, you're about to hear the uh, our Shakespeare-centric-esque song at the end of this episode. We love you, Pam. Thank you for all you do. Thank you for being you. And finally to the God. Yeah. Uh, and finally to the great Pulitzer Prize winning playwright, Annie Baker, who writes every single one of our episodes. Um, but she doesn't <laughs> even know it. She doesn't. Uh, and one day, Annie Baker... You're going to be in Los Angeles, and we're going to buy you a beer. It's true. Uh, it's not going to be the next time you're in Los Angeles, but it's going to be like four or five times from now when you're in Los Angeles. Um, I'm calling it right now. Um, <laughs> fair, fair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I will say, if you're going to tell us how pretty you are, and I'm backing it up a little bit, mm -hmm. do it in a review. I want you, <gasps> real ones, real ones who listen this far, this deep into the episode. I'm talking to you, Travis. I'm talking to you, Raphael. I'm talking to I'm talking to like the 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 real ones, the, the OGs, the Davers. Okay? Yeah, yeah. These people. If you're if you're one of the real ones, you will go right now and you will review this on whatever podcatcher you're listening to this on. And you all you'll do is describe how pretty you are. That's all I want. <laughs> love it. Yeah. A little bit of self love. Never hurt anybody. Yes. Yeah. Little bit of feel good goes a long way. <laughs> Fucking up with everything you said. <laughs> Little bit of feel good goes a long way. <laughs> Fucking up with everything you said. <laughs> shaking my titties for you. He's shaking his okay. titties. I don't have a I don't have a a, a musical song. That was do perfect. I? You that just was it. did. That's it. It's Later. from a musical. Oh 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 no! We should what? shout this out. We should shout this out. The song at the end by Pam is actually from a musical that she wrote that she's working on that is going to be workshopped in February, and she is uh uh. She did not have time to write something for this miniseries, so she said, "Here's this." And yes, it is me singing. <laughs> And yes, it's it is lovely, lovely okay. singing. Thank you. It's not great. I sing better on other tracks, but it's fine. Um, we we hear love you, Pam. Sing every episode, Bailey, so we know. God. <laughs> uh, yeah, it sounds so great on all the other episodes it's when great. I out of tune, out of key, um, switching keys every. 10 notes um and time signatures it's true i don't even deal with that at all there's no rhythm one two, one two three four are you in five four what's happening fuck five um, four we seven love eight four. i'm all seven seven, eight. Eight. seven four seven, eight. can fuck itself too five four rocks because it's in the mars song that's the 2001 theme the dun 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 that's a lot of music in five four switches back and forth between five four and another time signature i can't remember like two four not this two four but yeah great <laughs> end like of episode material hey people are gonna fucking <laughs> love it this is the real shit this is the real shit you know this who's is gonna love us it? now ryan thomas johnson he'll talk to you yeah. all day about meaner this is me, watch out, cause here we come. And it's hard as I'm not scared to be free, and I want you to fuck me. <laughs> Later, everybody. Bye. And I begin at the end. 
words flowing in my dear friend no right or wrong just move along keep getting strong together feels so right and here we choose